How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the RDN Good Roller Pod, episode 17. We got the boys here with me, Kevin Dwyer, Jordan Hamilton. How you how you doing, Jordan? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I had a very good weekend this past weekend. I went to Granby and uh, chilled in the mountains with my girlfriend. Went to the, stayed in the lodge for a couple of days. Tried to go camping, but that went fucking south. Did, um, you, did, did you take a tent up there or how did that go south? Yeah, we took a tent and everything. And then all the camping plans went south and it was. Well, I got to hear how did it go south? <laughs> I, so, you know, when you check online, like Google maps and shit, and it's uh, like, you know, it says if it's open or closed or whatnot. So. I went there, didn't say it was closed. So you just assume it's open, correct? Like that's what you would normally do. So we got there, drove two hours up there and it was closed. And we were like, what the fuck? So then we decided to drive around like four or five more. Either they were packed or they were closed. So we just said, fuck it and got a lodge and uh, stayed up there for two nights. So a little pro tip. Um, My roommate told me about this actually. So I think it's all like, uh, places that are on like national park ground are closed still because of COVID. All BLM, like Brew of a Land Management areas, are open. So you have to go to those areas and you can camp. So you went oh. to, I think you just went to the wrong one, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. I just went so to you got a one. lodge after that? Yeah, so we just got going to a, stay in the lodge for a couple of nights and hang out, hung out. It was good weekend, good weekend. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kev, how's it going with you, man? Uh, it's been, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind of a week, I guess. I moved last week back in with the folks and then, um, had my, uh, last like kind of weekend off, I guess for a while. Cause skate city's opening on Wednesday. Uh, I got told this morning, I'm going back to the Aurora rink, the original stomping grounds where all the boys Cougars. pretty yeah. cool. Cougars. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Cougars, Yotes, however you want to. You know, categorize yourself, but um, I'm happy to be joined by you, fellas. I like to hear that. Well, so before we get into this pod, um, there's something we do need to talk about. Something going on in the world. Everyone knows what's going on. Um, and I'm going to let Jordan uh, take it over from here. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know who Jordan is um, or have seen him around the rink, but. Jordan, going to explain your thoughts on this. You know, I think it would be awesome to hear from you since, you know, we have this platform and we're definitely going to use it. Yeah. Um, well, as you guys know, um, about two weeks ago, there was a disgusting video of a cop kneeling on the neck of an unarmed black man for about nine minutes and killed him. Rest in peace, George Floyd. And through that whole thing, it kind of brought to the light of um, how rich, how racially unjust this country has been um, and is at the moment. And so I just wanted to talk and say that in the darkness of all of what's going on, it's beautiful that we're all trying to come together and raise light to the situation and get, and get, get things going forward and having change happen. It's also kind of disturbing because it took for this to happen, this disgusting thing for all this to happen. And it's been going on for um, 400 plus years if you go back to slavery. And sh- but I'm ready for change. And I think we all are. And we should, I think we all should be um, personally. But um, just speaking on being black in roller hockey is uh, what an experience it's been. Obviously, I have some of my best friends are um, from roller hockey. and sports in general. And I personally, I mean, you hear stuff around the rink, not nothing like terrible or straight to my face, but you hear people talking about things and 
it's just some, sometimes people are just uneducated or sometimes people just say the wrong thing at the wrong time and they get caught up and they just see, Oh, there's a black guy right there. So I probably shouldn't say this right now <laughs> type of thing. And I not going to say that I have an space racism myself, but I'm going to say, I'm actually going to rephrase that. I'm going to say that I haven't experienced racism myself in the, in a real hockey community because I've seen that a real hockey family is close and amazing, but I can't speak for everyone that's been playing this sport and everyone that um, has been playing at a higher level than I have or um, but different people or different kids that I have. So um, I just want to say that there's no, I don't think there's a place for racism in our sport or in the world in general. And I don't think it should be such a tough problem to kind of stop dehumanizing people because of the color of their skin. I don't think that's a hard thing to do if you're like a morally right person, you know? Um, so I guess I just want to leave it there and whatever, what do you guys think? You know, Jordan, I think everything you said right there, um, pretty much it's all true. It's kind of, it sucks and it's disgusting that it took, you know, for something like this to happen, that it's brought all of us together and to unite. And, um, you know, you do hear some things. I don't think a lot of people understand the things that they are saying or the things that, you know, they're saying in the moment, what can't, is racist and wrong, you know, and maybe they've been saying it their whole life and they're just, that's the way they're brought up. And it's, you know, like you said, they're, they're uneducated. So, um, it's unfortunate how to bring something like this, how to bring it to light and, um, to be talked about. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you guys are hitting it all on the nose for sure. Um, I vividly remember uh, a couple of years ago when State Wars was in Fort Wayne for the uh, the first time, I think. And I was still at Lindenwood. We're driving back from Indiana and we get back to St. Louis and we're watching Seinfeld on you know a local channel and all of a sudden, boom, rioting and looting going on because of the Michael Brown thing that happened, you know, the Michael Brown murder that happened years ago. So that was kind of, I guess, for me in my life, that was one of the first, you know, where I was at a certain point in my life to kind of understand, like, this ain't right. That something happened there, like, and, and it ain't right. Something's got to kind of, you know, come of this. Um, I, I do have a couple things to say. Um, in regard to everything that has been going on, um, as you guys said, you know, and the NHL has a saying that hockey is for everyone, but then you hear of these gruesome and these terrible stories that just almost make your ears bleed. You're cringing hearing how coaches are treating some of these, you know, African-American, these black players. And, and it's terrible. It's absolutely horrible. And obviously some of these guys had some terrible teammates too, but, I would like to think that a couple of them found solace in some of the teammates who, as you're saying, are a little educated, you know, had a good upbringing, had parents who made their kids understand, look, that ain't how it goes. You know, like I, I lived through that time and that time wasn't right. And now, you know, I, parents can be a huge influence in that, obviously. Um, Blackout Tuesday was a week ago on Instagram. Now, I didn't post anything. I didn't post anything because in my opinion, in my perspective, me putting one black square on Instagram only shows people that yes, I'm doing that. But like at what, at what cost I've, I've had as a kid in Maryland, I had a best friend named Ronald who lived across the street who was black. And I had a buddy down the street here at my parents' house. Now we went to middle school. We walked to the bus every day together. 
he was black. I had Adam Swims at Lindenwood as a teammate for a little bit. Um, not a best friend, but there was a run in there at, at St. Charles. But what, what I'm getting at is like played with Larry with Kodiaks as well. Yeah, exactly. And so what, what I'm getting at is I, I don't think me posting a black square shows people that like I'm changing or that, you know, I, I live my life by the golden rule. All right. I'm not going to say I don't see color, but I'm not going to judge you based on the color of your skin. I, I've, I went to a high school, Smoky Hill, that white people were a minority. You know, there were a lot more black people and a lot more Mexican people at my high school. So I'm fortunate enough to have educated and smart parents who kind of raised me to, you know, help me understand that you treat, you treat people the way you want to be treated. You treat people with respect. You give respect to get respect. You have manners and you're polite. So that was, that was just me. If people were like, well, I didn't Kevin post anything. It's like, that's fine. Cause like, yes, things need to happen. But in my life, you can say silence is violence, but at the same time, I, I've never, I've never done anything that's like been going down that road. If that makes sense to you, Jordan, like yeah. I just don't feel the need to, I shouldn't even say afraid. That sounds a little insensitive, but I don't need to put something on Instagram to validate the way I think people should think of, it. you know, I'm, I, I can go to sleep at night knowing like I got one of my homies here, Jordan, you know, I got my buddy Jimmy down the street. I, you know, it's just, it's, it's a part of, it's, it's part of life. Like, and the fact that people are, you know, can't wrap their head around it or don't understand it, that's what's really sickening is people who don't think, you know, anything's got to change. That's, that's where, you know, you kind of start getting a little nauseous a little bit. So that's, that's my two cents in the matter. But absolutely top of the, top of the pecking order. There's no room in it for the world. or There's no room in the world for it. And there's no room in our sport for it either. Jordan, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say when he said um, about like silence is violence, I don't want to say <clears throat> that it's so like you guys saw the Drew Brees um, thing yeah. a couple days ago and how. And again, Drew this was, is a discussion, obviously. I'm not yeah. trying to get into an argument. Yeah. It's, a, it's an open discussion, and we're lucky yeah. enough to have you here to kind of shed some light on, on us, Jordan. Yeah, Drew Brees, I think where he. I won't say he messed up because it's his opinion and, and whatnot. Um, but when uh, he didn't like, he didn't realize that it, he thought he was still, the protest was still about the military and all that. Well, that's not what it's been about from the very beginning. It had nothing to do with disrespecting troops or anything like that. That was the complete opposite. Not the opposite that was not what it was about. And so I think when you say silence is violence or when you say it's not, or when it can be or whatever, it, there's a point where like you as a person can reach so many people that um, that have those same views as you and you could change their mind or give them different insight and educate them. So when you said like you're not posting the black square and I applaud because a lot of people have just posted it and like, that's the only thing they've done for Black Lives Matter for this whole movement, which is kind of also like whatever. So I think when you, if you do say something, say say something, give people petitions to sign for, uh, donate money if you can do like, do, do those type of things to where the people you're, you're educating people around you. Um, that's basically what it's about. And I think it's just a false, a lot of people just don't know. And that's what it is. So every time someone speaks up, it's educating someone else that had a little idea, had no idea about it. 
Yeah. Well, enjoy our interview with Junior Kiddies. It was a dope one. Boys, this was a fun one. It was fun getting to learn about him. Lived on a resort and then an island. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> Lived in a basement in Canada with six guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, without there, further ado, we're going to send it over to Kev. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another Good Roller episode here. We have a special guest, man. He's a household name. I've been hearing his name since I was a kid. He's played multiple years for USA. He's been playing in the pro roller hockey division for over 10 years. I consider him one of the most interesting men in roller hockey. Number 79 of the Palma La Beta Golden Knights, Junior Cadiz. What up, Junior? What's up, buddy? Quite the intro. Loved it. How you guys doing? <laughs> Don't sound so enthusiastic about the intro, all right? We're going to have to liven you up here a little bit. Boys, how are you doing? I'm trying to, just trying to keep it cool, man. <laughs> doing good. I'm doing good, man. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing good. I'm ready to talk to Junior and try to get, get to know more about the guy. Absolutely. So uh, I have a question before we get going. Torres came out with the news. I believe it was Friday that Torres was happening. Do you know if Palma's going uh, from what I know so far, the plan is for, for us to go. And I think we have our whole team has, has pretty much committed. So as long as that team, that, that tournament happens, I, uh, I think our, our whole team will be there, should be there. And I, and I hope it, it does happen because we're all you know pretty much itching for the tournament. This will be uh this will be our actual full, full team at this tournament, which is, uh, we've all been waiting for. I think Tommy, uh, can in net too with us too. So I think he confirmed. So we'll have our actual team for the summer. So we're all super pumped for that. It's good news that a tournament is going on and, you know, uh, I think everybody was pretty happy to hear that. And it sounds like things kind of got moved from Detroit down to uh, good old Fort Wayne over on the state Wars side of things. So it sounds like these guys have been kind of, you know, diligent in the quiet time of what's been going on to, uh, to get something together for everybody. So very encouraging. It is very encouraging. Oh, for sure. Uh, we, we've all been waiting long enough. Well, man, we like to start from the beginning. And I think a lot of people would like to start from the beginning with you because, man, you've got a pretty rich hockey history. You've been a lot of places. So I guess uh, from the get-go, man, what uh, what got you into the game? Who kind of got you started? And uh, just kind of tell it from there. Uh, funny story. It's super random, too. Um, growing up, I didn't, I didn't play any sports. I, didn't, I was like a huge couch potato. I was a pretty chubby, shorter kid. And, uh, my mom just finally got to me one summer and said, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit on the couch and do nothing. I'm going to play a sport. And, um, I was watching TV at the time and I was clicking through the channels. Next sport that came on was hockey. And I was like, All right, I'll just play hockey this summer. And I stuck with it. And obviously my mom just like lost her mind. She's like, you're not playing hockey. Like, I don't even know what hockey is. I don't know. We've never heard of it. I'm like, I'm Hispanic. And. So it was something that she didn't expect for, for me to say or do. So she was like, I'm not going to waste my money for you to play hockey. Uh, we're going to do something else. So she signed me up for karate. I uh, did karate for like two weeks. I freaked out. I thought I was going to be breaking like karate boards. And I was like, I'm not doing karate. Like, I'm, this is just not for me. So <laughs> she ended up signing me up for hockey. And, um, and I guess the the... That's where it all started, and I haven't stopped since. But yeah, my my first two couple of years were super brutal. Oh, I couldn't skate. I had a stopper for my first like year and a half of playing. Uh, I wore my shin guards outside of my hockey pants and shoulder pads. The whole the whole deal. It was it was pretty bad. But you know, luckily, I guess I enjoyed the sport that much, and and I stuck with it. How old were you? 
I was eight or nine. Wow. That's nuts. Was was there a time where like you were young like that and you just started playing and you wanted to quit and your mom and your parents were like, come on, you're going to get back into it? Or were you kind of like all gung-ho from the start? No, I think it it was weird too. Like like I said, like I wasn't good at all. Like I, I couldn't skate. Uh, I couldn't stop. Like, I think my first like two years of hockey, I think I had like one goal in like literally two years of hockey. And I think it went off like my leg or something. Cause I was trying, I was trying to stop in front of the net. Some guy shoots it. hits me like in my back. Like I kick it in by accident. They count it as a goal. And, and like, I guess that's all I needed. Like I'll wait two years to score again. Just cause I'm super pumped on it. And my parents, you know, they, they just wanted me they just want to see me play sports. I'm sure my dad was the same way. Like, she didn't grow up playing sports. My, my mommy uh, either. So yeah, I guess you can say I, it was just a love thing that I had for it. And, and, and it never got, I mean, that's, that's the cool thing about hockey is that it never, it never gets old and you all, you can always learn. And luckily I, I learned that and I gained that passion at an early age where um, it, it kept me going you know, day after day and year after year. And, and luckily I was able to stop without a stopper. What's uh what was some of the first travel teams you played with when you were growing up? Um the first travel team I played with I think was the Silo Rockets. They're like out of Chino and uh another crazy funny story, I guess. But our I played I don't know if you guys know Antoinette Maldonado. She's a, a women's player. She was on our team and, and she was nasty, like way better than like she was the best player by far. And so, like, I, that's she's the person that I looked up to at that point. I was like, I'm going to be as good as Antoinette sooner, sooner than later, and I'm going to score more than Antoinette. So, and I always had like somebody that I looked up to and wanted to like be better. And I guess that's another thing that kept me going and wanted to get and wanting to get better. And um, after Silo, I think I went, I think I went to AKS, and I grew up with the AKS 88 team up until like 16 years old, probably. So those, are the, those are the two teams, really. The AKS team, just watching you guys when I was younger, getting to watch you guys. It was AKS 88s, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys were just so dominant and so good. What was yeah. it What was it like being part of that AKS family and playing with them? I think what's so cool about that team was, like, we were literally all best friends. We all we always hung out. We were all from the same city for the most part. And if we weren't from the same city, somebody was hosting some kind of slumber party for the weekend. And um, our coach, Scott, what was really cool about his program was, on I don't know if it was Saturdays or Sundays, but he'd have every single from like the ninety five to our eighty eight team. We would have like a speed practice for the first couple hours where like you would just do, you know, laps kind of thing or with your with your team. And then after that, the ninety five was a practice and the ninety four, then the ninety three, then the ninety two, then it was an all day thing, which was really cool because the parents got into it. We were barbecuing every weekend. Uh, I think it was on Sundays because on Saturdays that's when we had like our barbecues and or our sleepovers. And um you're obviously going to get close, especially when you play with your boys and you do well. That's always nice and you want to stick together. And and we're all a bunch of like random kids. You know, I, I think I posted a picture the other day and like our team was literally so diverse. We had a couple Asians, uh, black guy, me, Georgie. It, it was just, it was so cool just how diverse we were because we all brought something to the table, which was, which, uh, was so good for us as kids. And like, it was the best thing about our team. And the fact that we just got along on the rink just how that made things so much more better too. And so it was awesome. I, I love those, all those kids and they'll, they'll always be a, always have a place in my heart. Was your, was your coach that guy, Scott? I, I yeah, think Scott Condio. Scott, okay, Scott Condio. Okay. And then Georgie's dad is the other guy, right? Yeah, he was, uh, he was always on the, on, on the bench with us. Um, coach mascot water boy he, he was the he was the guy on the bench for us 
All right. Well, th- this is out of left field. I just remember this. this is something I wanted to bring up. There's there's something that Darren he when Darren had programs, he had the Narch programs. One of them he had like like it, like all star Narch all stars or something. And like there's one of Corey Kettler as a kid, and a bunch of these guys who are younger. You're in there, and I think it asks like, what's your biggest roller hockey accomplishment? And I'll never forget my brother being like. This guy Junior Cadiz's biggest accomplishment said like high scorer at like a rec league or an in-house league, and he's like that kid's nasty. Like he and I, do you remember like saying that to Darren or, or like any of that or like it wasn't just Darren's either. Like, we always had like certain questionnaires that we answered, and like me and Georgie and Barbara just talked to us the other day how like we would always put our favorite player with like Nevin you want to, which is our goalie. And I don't know, I, I don't know if we were just being idiots or trying to be funny, hoping like Nevin saw it or hoping, you know, I guess maybe it's just each other that saw it. And I like, hopefully Georgie sees this, he's going to die. Or hopefully, like, you know, Junior sees this, he's going to die. And, and that's how, that's where it came from. It had nothing to do with anything, anything else but <laughs> me and Georgie, you know, laughing at each other's jokes. So, and we, it's funny, we laughed at this literally, literally two days ago, three days ago, he sends me a screenshot of this and we talked about it and, you know, <laughs> It's funny that I'm sure nobody else has any idea or any clue what you know what I'm talking about. But as long as George got a laugh out of it, it's all really mattered at that time. Well, that was that was like the first time that like I kind of like heard Junior Cadiz and heard your name and and my brother, him and our other buddies, older brother, they would go to Winter Nationals that were in like you know Reno and in Vegas and stuff back when they were like in high school. And I think that was kind of when they started seeing you a little bit, and then we younger guys wouldn't be at the winter nationals. They'd be there at their high school. And so that's kind of like when I was in middle school is when I first started hearing her name and stuff. And so that was, I remember that. I remember that vividly. My brother was like beside himself that like this guy, junior kiddies, who's so good said that his biggest accomplishment was like high score and like a in-house league or something like that. So yeah. I'm glad you for that. That's hilarious. And Dorothy Barton. Yeah, and I remember, like I, I I know that I remember the picture too. I have like long like beaver hair at the time too. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was all pretty part sure. of the part of fun. Pretty sure Ethan said he wanted to be an astronaut when he grew up too. Yeah, Ethan. I mean, same thing. I'm sure he was just looking for a reaction out of somebody. Yeah, I thought he's always cool. gonna get it. Yeah, those are oh, really super cool. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah they brought that back too. It's always fun. Everybody always wants to hear you know little questionnaires about people. Oh, absolutely. Um, you played a little, you, as you played roller your whole life, you also played a little bit of ice and you played for the, in the MGA, MJAHL in Canada. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit or why did you switch to ice or would you want to try it out? What's going on there? So I started, my first year of ice was, um, I want to say 14. I think 14 double was my first year of ice and I didn't play ice at all. Um, Georgie, Georgie had an ice team and I, I want to say that he needed, they needed one more player off the team was going to fold. So uh, he asked me if I wanted to play. I said, why not? And, and so I played and luckily I did pretty well. The, the skating came, you know, somewhat naturally. And it was obviously, you know, edges that you work on like anything else. And then I stopped for a year and then, and then went straight to like the 16 triple A and I, one of the, one of their coaches had like, I guess you can say scouted me, really wanted me to play. So talked to my dad and, you know, luckily I was able to play that year. And then, you know, we did all right. It was a good competition and it was fun. 
And then the next year, I was uh, once again thinking about, I didn't know, wasn't sure if I wanted to play. I, I just didn't, I never, I didn't grow up playing ice. And it, it was just something that I did, you know, because the first year with Georgie, the second year, because like a coach was scouting me and I thought, okay, well, I got to give this a chance at some point. And then I fell out of it again. And then the next year, all of our boys came together to play on an 18 AAA team uh, in Huntington Beach. And I was like, okay, well, I can't turn this opportunity down. And once again, you know, decent year. We had a really good team. Like, that's like the year like Matt White blew up. Like, he blew up in ice and went from, he played with like Junior Kings and like went to Cushing. And then we had like Michael Jolo was supposed to play on our team. And I don't know if he played with us or not. And we just had a really good team that could have been really good. And, um, you know, some guys went other places. And, and it didn't turn out to be the year that I, I, we all expected to be like on the rink, I guess you can call it. Off the rink, we had a blast. And then my last year in Midgets, um, once again, played with like a, a really good eight, 18 AAA team and we were like ranked top five all year. And then that was my, my grandfather was sick that year and he was, that was I, I didn't play the way I was supposed to. I wasn't into ice hockey the way I was, I should have been that year. I didn't care about getting scouted. You know, I missed practices because my, my grandfather was giving me rides and he was sick. So I don't know how much they, they knew or thought I was serious about it. So you know, didn't really, didn't really put too much thought or whether it be me or them into me, um, into placing me in juniors or anywhere. And I had no, I had no idea about it. I didn't know any leagues. I didn't know where I should go. So I literally just stopped. I was like, okay, well, I'm just 18 midgets, 19 major midgets. I'm done. And then got scattered again and I had no idea, but it was the coach that I played against and he went to Canada to coach and uh, scouted me once again. And was like, Hey, if you ever, if you ever thought about playing D one hockey, uh, come out, come out here and play. And, uh, so I went out there, I just took a chance. And at that point, I was 18. I didn't want to go to school. And I was like, okay, well, I, don't, I definitely don't want to work right now. So I might as well just take a chance and move out to Canada. I had no idea where it was out in Canada. And and I once again, like, just the, we, we won like five games that whole year and still averaged like 14, 1200, 1400 people at every game, which is really cool. But wow. literally in the middle, the middle of nowhere. Um, after games, we'd go to like to either McDonald's or like some random pizza spot. Those were like the two places to go where everybody, you know, hung out in the city and lived in like in a basement with like six guys. And that was brutal. Cause like, I'm a pretty clean person. And we got snowed in all the time. It was like minus 30, like half the year. It was like their worst, their worst winter. They had like, I don't know, crazy amount of snow, which is like a crazy, like culture shock for me. I was like, uh, so I played. I played well too again, and then I was still getting scouted by a couple of schools. I was like, I'm over this. I don't want to. I don't want to play hockey. I don't want to move anymore. And then once again, got scouted by an actual D1, you know, an assistant coach from a D1 school. And then I was talking to a couple other schools after. So then I get scouted again to go to Wenatchee, and I played in the NA for a year. And then, um, yeah, had a really good year. Good year that year, and. Uh, long story short, I was talking to a couple of schools and it, it just got way too political. I hated like negotiating. I had no agent. I had no idea what I was, what I wanted, like money wise or school wise. I didn't want to go play at a school and then get messed around and then, you know, lose a scholarship or just hate my, the school that I was playing for or not like the, the, the team or whatever the case is. So I was like, right, I'll just cut it quick and stop. And that was, that was the end of my ice hockey career. So Sorry, in, I, I rambled on a bit of there. No, that was, I mean, pretty cool. I never, I didn't know that, but did you, did you stop playing hockey after that altogether then with roller and ice? Yeah. I stopped for a year. I stopped uh, that whole year. 
that year, that year alone, like in my last year of, of ice, I was like, I think I just fell out of the love of ice of hockey in general because I didn't play any rollers. I was full time ice, and I, I got pretty serious with it, like health wise, and and then it just didn't turn out the way that I wanted to. I was like, oh, I'm just going to take a step back and figure out what I want to do with my life in general, and then um, then got back into roller hockey because of Georgia again. Crazy, actually, I didn't ever think about it. Uh, yeah, Georgia got back, got me back into it. So how did uh, so how did he get you back into playing again? The following summer, they were having a a USA tryout for Fears, and Georgie uh, told me about it. Told me to come with them, and um, I ended up making the team. And so, ever since then, I haven't stopped. You know, that's that's how like Europe started for me, and and I haven't stopped playing ever since until like a couple years ago, where I stopped playing in Europe too. Okay, nice. Well, that's a uh, thank, thank you, Georgie Barber, for uh, bringing Junior back into the uh, roller hockey world and hockey world. It's uh, it's nice to have him. Yeah, I never, I never told him actually to his face. So hopefully, he does hear it. And thank you, Georgie. Wouldn't be here. Well, um, we'll we'll uh, we're kind of like splitting it up now. I guess we want to like get into Europe a little bit and kind of like the start of your pro stuff, but um you just kind of said that like that was the start or like early on then is kind of when you went over to Europe to play. Right. Yeah. It was literally right after that, that, that world that we played in, we, we did really well and we won. And then I get home and literally two days later, I have three messages to, from two teams from Spain and one team from Italy. So what, so just for, I mean, even myself and for listeners, just like from that, what was kind of like, we're segueing into like European, you know, play for you now. What, what, what did you end up doing with those three like messages that you had? I had asked, I had asked all the, all the coaches and about the cities, but then I just did random research on my own. Uh, I knew like, I knew PJ Tala played in Italy. So that kind of, and he told me that, you know, a lot of those teams, um, are not the most reliable and trustworthy when it comes to money every month. So that the Italy team just went out the window immediately. Um, I knew one of the teams had a good like reputation, I guess, which always had a pretty good team because I'd see it or I'd see their Facebook or the coach told me about it. And the other team had just moved up from the second division. The coach was telling me that and it was in a city that was away from all other major cities. So it kind of made it pretty easy for me at that point to I could just go to the better team near a bigger city. And, you know, luckily it was just a better deal in general. So it worked out that way. What, what team was that? Uh, Vital lead. It was uh, right out, right outside of Mid- uh, Madrid. They're probably like uh, two hours from Madrid. Is that the team that Novak plays with right now? Yeah. Okay. I think they played for last year. Yeah. Okay. Did you know anyone on the team before you made the decision to, or? No, I knew nobody. I had, I, I, we thought I'd went out there two years or so before and you know I always talked to me thought about it I always told always told him I wanted to do it and and luckily you know talking to the coach he allowed me to bring somebody else with me and so he came with me that first year and that was another thing too I had the other team didn't allow me the other Spanish team at least wasn't allowing me to bring another player and you always want to make that move when you have when you have one of your buddies with you it just makes everything about that transition so much more easier which which worked out because me and Ifan, you know played together and he had lived out there and it was, it just worked out perfectly. What was, uh, what was your favorite thing about playing in that league? Um, at the time, I think the, my favorite thing about that year was just how much me and Ethan just dominated. Like we played so well together at that time. And then that I feel like that after that year is when the Spanish teams just started 
you know, bringing more imports and practicing a whole lot differently, you know, once they saw us, because that year we literally went undefeated the whole year until like our last game. Um, we had like over a hundred points in like 15 games. It, 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 we, we were winning games six, seven, one on just like, on just us alone. We, we didn't even need the, the other line, I guess you can call it. We were smoking everybody. We had like the, the Czech national goalie, one of the Czech, best, the best defense on the Czech team at the time too. So our line was like literally stacked against players that, against teams and players that weren't playing the same hockey as we, as we were. We were just on another level at that point. Um, in the Spanish league, I guess there was one other team which had like PJ Tallow on their team. They had a really good English goalie and another player from Slovenia. I think that was really good or Slovakia, one of the two. So they had a really good team. Other than that, it, it, it was it was pretty much a breeze, and it made it that much more fun too. Because we were we were having a blast on the rink. You know, winning is always cool, but we were just playing so well, and that's like so that's always so fun to, to do when you guys are having fun on the rink. And I guess if, even if we would have lost and we were playing that well, it still would have been fun. A lot of players talk about like adjusting their game whenever they go over there. Did you and Ethan ever have to adjust your game or did you guys kind of play like that style already? Or um, what was that like? I think for me and Ethan at that time, it was for now it's a lot tougher because everybody's a whole lot better. People work harder now that they, you know, there's, there's rivalries now, you know, the, the French don't want to lose to the Americans or the Americans don't want to lose to the French or, you know, whatever country it may be. And, and I know that's how it was for any of us. I hate losing in general, whether I'm in the States or in, in Spain or whatever country I'm in. So uh, me and Ethan were on that same page. And I don't know if we had, I don't know if we had to change our, our style because, you know, we're pretty good in corners and we're, we're smaller, smaller guys that, you know, can skate pretty well. So it made that, it didn't make it that difficult at that time, but I can understand how now, especially now how players are just better and hockey's all constantly changing and getting better in most of those countries out there, which is really cool to see. So no, at that time it wasn't as, as difficult as maybe it might be, you know, if I were to over the years, it definitely got tougher and tougher. I used to always see you like skiing halfway through your season when you were playing in, uh, I think it was the French league. You lived on, did you live on a ski resort? I literally lived on a ski resort for three years. I can, I can roll out of bed and like 50 yards away from the, from the ski lift. So what was that experience like? And like, what, who was, what was that team name? Uh, I was in Montchavin. It was uh, like in the French Alps. Like it's like where Foxy and Foxy was playing last year. He was in Grenoble. Okay. Probably an hour and a half from there. So in the, like, like more in the mountain than out than outside. Um, I don't know. I played in Grenoble a year before and then got the team you know, the coach had got money. He's like a, a ski instructor. So they had decent money and they had sponsors. And so they brought over me and Skylar that year. So Skylar, Skylar was with me. My first year, me and Skylar just traveled. That's all we wanted to do was travel. So I took advantage of that and, and traveled with Skylar. Our coach was super cool about, you know, giving us time off as long as, you know, we were at practice the day before a game and we, you know, we performed. And yeah, so we traveled a lot. The second year is where I took advantage of like skiing. I was like, oh, I, I can't ski like two or three times that whole year, that first year. I was like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to ski. I'm going to live like the ski life because I'll probably never get a chance to do that ever again. So that second year I skied more than I played hockey by far. And um, I got pretty good at it and, and I wasn't as good as I thought I was. I got hurt quite a bit and I had like stitches and stuff. My coach wasn't happy, but luckily he never found out. I got him from skiing. So yeah, it was really, really cool. And it was definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity that, that I'll never forget. 
Someone, someone was with you at some point. I remember like a video you made where like you're holding a GoPro and like, you're just like bombing down this, uh, you know, um, run with somebody. I can't remember who it was, but I just remember you guys were like switching the GoPro on and off with each other. Yeah, dude. We had a, I had another kid, uh, a Spanish kid that lived with us. The Spanish kid was like a surfer. He's like, I don't know if you guys know Mickey. His, his name's Mickey Cabellin. He's on oh, the Spanish team. He's really yeah, good. Yeah, I think that was Chucky all the time. Yeah, yeah, he he lived with me at that at that year too, and um, big surfer kid, and he loved being he loved making those videos and stuff. So I don't know if it was him making that video. I, I, it was probably him because I always wanted if I was making the jump, I wanted somebody recording it, and he loves recording it. <laughs> record it and so I don't think I, I I don't think I ever hit one jump, but I, I got a lot of air, and I guess that's all that matters. Did you ever go into like the uh, train park, or do they have have one of those there? Uh, once, once. And, uh, it didn't go well. I, <laughs> I didn't realize how, how, how steep it was going down. So once like, I, I get to the lip of it, I was like, I'm not going over this. So I just literally just rolled forward and, and luckily my skis fell off and I just rolled and nothing happened at that time. But that was my first and last time in the park. I have no problem doing like, uh, like off, off road or off the track and like in the, in the trees and stuff. Cause I'm pretty good with my edges at that point or bombing hills. I had no problem with that, but no big hills. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so you got to live on a french ski resort in the french alps and then you also lived in palma del morocco in in when you were playing in spain like what was that like in Mallorca, yeah it's so i went from like a ski resort to an island which is like a crazy cool thing too and uh, I had played there for half a year with Jerry. This was the year right after Wild Elite, and they had lost their big sponsors, and I had to leave. I had to go back home, and I wasn't able to finish that year with that team. So, and I loved, I loved the city. It's my favorite city that I ever traveled to. So I told myself, if I ever had the opportunity to go back, I have to. So the team in France, um, I finished that season, and luckily they had, they had, uh, they had an opening, and I forget who it was who left, and. They called me. They called me and told me they had a spot. And I was like, I have to, 100. I have to. I have to take this chance because it's my favorite city. I, I miss. I didn't get to live that island life the way I wanted to. I guess you can call it and travel and see like all those beaches and all the scenery and mountains and everything that I had to offer. So, so I took it in heartbeat and, and you know it was really cool. So they gave me a sweet location and and the place was just unbelievable. It, it's something out of you know a postcard and lifelong friends forever what was the coolest thing about living uh living there i think for me is it it was like cali vibes it was like the closest thing to california that i can get to without being california or not even feeling that i'm in the state you know the food's completely different the people are completely different but also the same at the people at least you know they're also the same at the same time you know being like laid back and you know no worries in the world you know having a drink and you know, coffee's in the morning or having a beer in the morning on the, on the patio right before work and whatever the case is. And, the, you know, the, at the time, you know, the country's in a crisis and you have no idea walking down the street, you know, in the mornings and everybody's always happy and it's kind of hard not to like a place like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all the pictures you see, everyone that goes there and plays the teams, it's, uh, it's like the dream spot to go play there. Did you, did you play there with Dolce? I was in France. I was in the ski resorts of Dolce. Okay. 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 Nice. That was the year, that was the year right before I went to Mallorca. And even at that time, half of our t- we had like two teams join that year. So we had half of the team that was from you know the, in the resort where I was at, and then half the team was from Nice, which is in the south of France. And Dolce and, and AMAC were there at that time. It's awesome. It was really cool. 
Um, and after that, he stopped playing hockey. We miss him. Yeah, I mean, oh, he, uh, he can just, just, yeah, keep going. You know, we, I live in the same state as him. I barely see him. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. You saw him the other week. Didn't yeah, you? I did see him the other week. That's, uh, that's my boy. He's out, he's chilling. He's, uh, taking some time off, but he's ready to come back. Yeah, I was talking to him. He said he's ready to come back and he's in this next summer when he's ready to go again. So. Yeah, he'll be here. Um, you were playing in Spain and everything, so you obviously met Lionel, the magician with the camera. Um, yeah. how was what, what was it like? What was it like the first time meeting him? Um, the first time meeting him, um, I want to say it was that French Cup that first year that I went there. Um, awesome, man. I mean, who doesn't like who doesn't like seeing like a highlight goal that they score? You know, the next day or whatever the case is. So once he once he told me and what he was doing, and after that video came out that he made for the French Cup. I had a really good, a really good tournament that, that, that French Cup. We ended up winning, you know, being, a, I don't think anybody expected us to win because we didn't have the team for it, I guess you can call it at the time, that, the one, that from what I did, the players told me. And um, after that, it blew up. You know, after that, I went, I went back to Spain or I went back to France and, you know, every chance he got to go to one of our games, he, he always, he always did. And, and luckily I played well every time he went. So he likes getting the footage and I like seeing the footage and, um, there's always a really cool relationship. Whenever he needed help with anything, I always gave it to him and, and help him out with certain things here and there. And it, it turned into a friendship, which is really cool. And, and me and Leon Allen have a really good relationship now and still talk here and there. And uh, the guy's awesome. and one of the nicest, just most genuine people ever. And he loves the sport, which is like super cool. Like he, he'll do anything for it. He literally travels across the, across the world for it. So can't knock that guy. Yeah. I mean, you always see him traveling across France for all these, you know, for these games too, and shooting this different stuff. He always sends us these different videos. He's always, he does so much to promote the game, not just, you know, in France, but internationally for the French players when he's over here in the United States, you know, it's uh, it's really cool. What I love about that guy is like, when you work at a tournament, I've worked at a couple, like it's a grind. Like I at State Wars, I was a scorekeeper. Narch, I was doing camera shit for Darren up in the booth. And at Tours, I was doing a whole bunch of different things. That guy is always so happy when you see him. Just like you said, he loves the sport. And so whenever you see him, you're just like, What's up, Lionel? And he's he he just has a big smile. He's like, Hey, how's it going? And he he loves having a conversation and he, he loves what he does. And like, it rubs off on you. You're like, you might be tired at a day of your tournament. And then you like talk to him and you're like, dude, I flew like hours to get to California from France to be here for maybe four or five days. I'm complaining about being tired and playing games and being sore from flying from freaking Colorado to California. And Lionel's just over here. Like, geeking yeah. being able to get some sick footage for everybody like he's just a happy guy man and it what the sport needs it rubs off on you a lot it's true too you know there's people that you know like you said people who are will complain about it and like they're like you know clicking on an off or clicking a button on a score on a on a scoreboard or whatever the case is and, and you know Leonel is going through b-roll and, and getting footage literally 12 hours a day and, and, and then editing all night and you talk about a grind and the guy, you know, he, he would do it for free because he has, he has, you know, I've seen him do it. I've seen him, you know, literally, um, you know, his passion and what he wants out of it is just 
just the acknowledgement from from everybody else that he you know he does what he do he does and uh, and he gets good footage which is you know all we can ask for at that point and, and uh it's just so cool man you don't you don't meet a lot of people like that if we have any listeners who don't already go follow lionel at my fmt um i wanted to ask this question earlier but what was one of your the first team that you played pro with the first pro team i played with um, at the time we were called junior mudcats and it was like um they were called junior mudcats growing up they like they're all 80 i want to say 85s 86s and you know they literally won every single tournament and it's like the team that I wanted to play for and luckily I got a chance to play and they had a pro tournament locally and they asked me to play and I was like I had just turned 17 I think and I, and I played the tournament and then they asked me to play you know, the year after and I couldn't say no you know it was, it was unfortunate that I had to leave, I had to leave the AKS boys and, and that was really unfortunate but um, it was just something that, uh, that that I wanted to do at the time for whatever reason and and yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's all the whole story. The whole pro started for me. And then, you know, we went from like junior Mudcats to militia, to Reebok. And then, you know, the team's all apart. They went different ways at that point. Yeah, we are. We, so we've had travel and we've had other people talk about next gen and how stack that team and how you guys, could you speak on the next gen team and like how that all split up or. Um, uh, I only played two tournaments with them. I think we only played because they were. I was on Palma the year before, I believe. The year, the first year that they came together, I was on Palma, and then, um, and then the next after State Wars, I think it was. You know, we just. I think what's unfortunate too is it's still tough because we had like people that were in their prime for ice hockey, and it's tough for them to commit all year, all summer when they don't know what's going to happen the next summer. They don't know where they're going to be. They don't know how much roller they're going to be playing. So. I think some people just, you know, felt it wasn't right. And other people wanted to make other decisions. Other people want to play more roller hockey. Other people want to play less roller hockey. And, you know, once one person leaves it, you don't want to, you don't want to be on a team that has random players every single tournament. So, you know, it, it was just best for, for us to just disband and go our own ways. Cause that's what some people wanted to do. Super unfortunate because we had a nasty team, but you know, we had a blast and, you know, the memories will still be there and, uh, hopefully, you mean thirty and over or something. You get on the next thirty-five and over. Was, the next year. <laughs> nice. was, was that was that two thousand and eleven? That was their first year. Um, I can't tell. I have a terrible memory. It's probably around there though. That next year had a team. Yeah. It was after that for sure. I think it was like say, if next year had a team, it, it was. Not, what's I don't remember. Kids? I think I it was, was two thousand eleven because that's when they had those like honeycomb and like the hornety looking like logo on their uniforms. Well, we had, they had the, when they played pro that year. That's the year that that's the right the year. What was the year that Black Eyes won? Black Eyes won in two thousand fourteen. So two thousand thirteen was the first the first year I think for next gen. The Shavo was still like only 18 at that time, I think. Yeah. Cause they their first tournament was, it's the same year as uh, when worlds was in California. That was the first year that next gen came together. Well, like I mentioned, you, man, you've been on team USA for a lot of years. So going back to like one of the first times, you know, you, you got to do that was with George Barber. And that's when you kind of started going over to Europe representing team USA for so many years. What uh? What was the Columbia experience like in 
that was the cool that that might have been one of the coolest experiences that had I mean I was there for hockey but just being involved for opening ceremonies and, and making that lap around that track was the coolest thing the coolest thing ever that I, I can you can never relive unless you know you, you, have, you literally have a second chance to relive it because you know, 60,000 70,000 people literally screaming and chanting the whole time and you would think I mean there's like every squad is out there every country is out there but you think they're just cheering for you the whole time and that's the way I felt was everybody's just screaming for USA that's why they're here and you know we lived it up to super cool it's like we would stop at some point I don't think you're even supposed to but we you know we'll jump in the crowd and the crowd goes wild and we take like random like selfies with them and they're just all about it you know it was uh, we wanted to take a couple laps obviously but they you know one lap and you're off and and that was that and then and then for, for, for us to go from like opening ceremonies to, I think we played Columbia the first game. Like it was like a run robin game with Columbia the next day or whatever the first game was. And the place was sold out too. So super, super cool. The, the setup was really cool. You know, the rink was really nice. It was big and um, people were really nice. And it, the, the whole trip was just so, it was like seamless. You know, it's just so easy. It flowed the whole time. We had so much fun. We had a great group of guys and, you know, winning is always nice. What was the uh, what was the crowds like when you guys were playing like Columbia or even in the championship games? I think what's funny too is because I would think they you know I don't even know how many people how many of those fans were hockey fans you know you had to buy tickets to certain events that were going on and who knows that maybe you know the only thing, the only ticket that was available was a hockey game until so they went and I think they just lived it up the, the best that they could and I can't tell you that whole crowd was the same way but that was the cool, the coolest thing is everybody was just so pumped to be there. And I feel, I, I feed off of energy off of things like that. You know, I don't hear much, but I, I definitely sense it and I feel it and you vibe off that stuff. So it's, so it's an indescribable feeling. It, it's crazy. What was one of your, what was your favorite moment about that trip there? It had to be the, the opening ceremonies or, you know, the last night winning, you know, that's always cool. We were on the ring for a while too, taking the fans are still there and you know, we jump on the boards and like all the fans want to take pictures with like our flag and stuff. And you, know, you see the picture still, you know, Facebook, you know, brings it up and the memories are still there. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Did you, did you guys have a security guard or a security the guard? A little bit. Yeah. Cause people don't know. I remember Ronnie B telling me shit about Columbia like years ago. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. Like right when we get into the security is obviously pretty, pretty strict, but we get to our hotel and they tell like, right when we check in, they tell us, you know, you don't go anywhere by yourself. You don't go anywhere without, you know, security. And we're thinking, okay, security guard. But no, you guys are full on army guys with AK 47s. They, they, you know, for every two of you, there's two bodyguards. And that was the case. And at that point, I don't think anybody wants to leave anywhere. So thinking, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going to walk across the street you know, with no. the guys because what does that even mean? Like, that's just so sketchy to begin with. So it wasn't happening. And even like when people wanted to go like buy a water or buy a Gatorade or whatever the case is or dinner or food or snack or something, um, I don't think anybody went out with complete confidence the whole time. It's just, but you have to, and you need the experience and you want to say that you did it. So, you know, we all, we all did it at some point, but yeah, not, not, I don't think it'll ever happen again by that much. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> uh, in 2018, you had, you guys, you and Rinka had one of the most astonishing runs, I guess, in recent play on recent like real hockey history. Um, how was that? And did you like, did you think that you were going to win the whole time or 
How did you guys feel going through the round robin and playoffs? For me, I guess at this point, you know, I, I go into every tournament thinking I'm, I want to win and I'm going to win. And so to me, I guess it wasn't a complete shock. I, I didn't, I didn't expect us to do that well, you know, you know, deep down, I guess, honestly, but you know, you, you're part of teams that come together at the right time and we came together at the right time. So that's, you know, once playoff game started, the playoffs started for us. We had that first game against the Mudcats because we were down a couple goals even. That was and that's crazy. I think it was like three one or something, and we came back and you know we won you know five three or five four something like that. Was like, okay, well this is this is just, the ball is just rolling right now, and then like we scored a quick goal against Palma, and you know they had like a four on two that they didn't score on, and it's like okay, well this ball it just keeps on rolling for us, and you know we went into the championship the same way and. Another cool thing about it is like, like we hung out every single night. You know, you're part of teams, especially like with the Ringret, the Ringret team. We had guys from Michigan, we had guys from other places. So you're not sure at that point if you guys are all going to go to dinner together, have a drink together every single night. And luckily, we did. You know, Dan was really good about you know getting dinners going, and and everybody you know bought into it and came to it, and that obviously helps out with you know chemistry and just bonding in general. And yeah, and the black guys game happens and. Another crazy, crazy game, but you know, you, uh, things were just going for us. The ball was rolling for for me and Ethan, and Tommy played out of his mind. And yeah, uh, glad I was a part of it, and, and glad glad it happened. Because you know, I think all of us, uh, all of us uh, like to see other teams win, and I'm glad I was a part of it, and and we were able to to beat Black Eyes. Yeah, watching that championship game, it kind of just seemed like the uh, you know the older guys, you, Ethan, TNT, Walk, you know, you just kind of kicked it into a different gear and took over, and it was like, yeah. oh wow, you know, don't don't count them out, and it was uh, it was that was one of the best games, funnest games to watch. No, it's true. You know, I think everybody knows. You know, you don't you don't play run and gun against teams anymore. Like it's just it's just not going to happen because it can go either way. And, you know, mercy can, you can go down three, go four goals in a matter of no time, especially against most of these top teams with a lot of good players. And, um, we knew that we had, especially, I was huge for in the first goal. You know, we knew we had to slow it down at that point. So, and luckily we did, you know, luckily Tommy was on his game and, um, you know, luckily we all bought in, you know, we had a hard, you know, blocking 14, 15 shots in that game. And, and Ross and Barry playing out of their minds and like Mayhew, you know, stepping it up and, you know, making simple plays and everybody did what they were supposed to do. And, you know, that's literally what it takes to win a championship nowadays is you need everything to click at the right time. And, and it did for us, luckily. If, if I may, I'll, I'll walk you through my Sunday that day. Uh, you know, we lose the black ice uh, that morning after being tied zero to zero for 75% of the game. And then took uh, took a couple of the fellas to one of my favorite watering holes because it's right by Lindenwood. We went to Lloyd and Harry's. I was supposed to come back and do a little like color for like commentary during those games. I didn't make it back on time. That there's no way I was getting up there. Going back, Rinkrat has beat the Mudcats. I think in the first round, the last three years at State Wars. I think it's like the last three years Rinkrat and and the Mudcats have met in round one of the Palma playoffs. And when you guys beat Palma that day, I was in the far corner of the rec box. I was actually sitting with Phelps and Mr. Nijar was down there. Mike Nijar was down there. And the game ended, I think it was what, like four to two. 
And I just remember looking at Mr. Nijar and watching him and he just like was sitting there and just like took a big deep breath and like sighed and just like turned and started walking. Like he was like, you could tell he was like frazzled, but he was like, just like, I can't do anything about it. And then, um, and then I had to go to Tommy Bruce's and go to sleep for a while. So (laughs) that was a Sunday. That was a fun Sunday, basically. Uh, But you missed the the best game. Yeah, I missed the best game. I didn't see it until like a year later. I know that, uh, that our homie here, junior's got some nice, uh, some nice wristwear from Jordan from that game. Yeah, sweet. I, that was, I'm a big watch guy too, so that was huge. I can get a little bling gun. Yeah, I, mean, I love my Jordan Wood watch. It's cool. They're really cool. So I, I don't think we've ever had this chance to ask you this. We've talked to Ethan about it, but um, you know, speaking about Rinkrat and Palma, after winning Palma Pro with Rinkrat, you made a change over to play with Palma. And I know you kind of played with them in the Pro, uh, Pro Series before. What made that change? Um... Well, a couple of years, I was gonna make the I was gonna make the switch the year before 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 I even played with that that year that I won with Rinkrat. I was gonna leave the year before, and you know, talking with you know with Dan and and Ethan and Walk, they told me you know they one more year, and so you know I ended up doing that. But you know, I always had a good relationship with Sabraj and, and Mike and all the Nigers and any, everybody from Palma, and you know Sabraj would would um, you know give me little jabs on coming back, and same thing with Travis. So. Um, it was always in the back of my mind. It was always an option that I had there, luckily. And you know, it's like one of those, like a perfect storm kind of thing, um, where you know we were, we were able to. I would rather make that if I had the two options. You know, I'd rather win. You know, be able to beat them and then make that switch rather than lose to them and be like, okay, well, can I come play with you guys? Uh, it's just a better. It, for me, it was like it made that that switch that much more easier for me. I guess you can call it. And um, so, so I did. And and that was that. And I think Ethan Walk and everybody understood that it was it was a, it wasn't. I didn't catch, I didn't catch them off, uh, off guard, or it wasn't a surprise to them. I don't think. Yeah, and then and it wasn't just it wasn't just hockey at that point. You know, um, a lot of things came into play too. You know, with with work and you know, I'm in I'm in I'm in the real estate business too. So um, it's easier to, to to do business or to ask questions or to to get tips when you're you're playing with the team and. You know, um, Mike likes that. Mike likes that. Being, Mike, Mike likes Mike's knowing that you know you're part of the squad, and he's willing to help out that much more at that point. So it was a little bit more than hockey, and not that you know it had one it had to do with one thing more than the next. But there's a few reasons why. What's it like being part of that Palma family? We've asked uh, quite a few people about it, but it seems it's just it seems like a very special bond you guys have. Yeah, I think that, I mean you have to applaud Sabraj and Mike. You know both both wanting to be a part of it still, you know, I can imagine how tough it is to not win every tournament when you expect to win every tournament and just to keep going every single year, you know, it's a testament to them and how much they love hockey and, and you want to be a part of that. And I played with Palma for years. I played with Ethan, I played with Ethan like in midgets. We had a couple of years where we played Palma. So, um, and they're all, they've always been really good to me, you know, you know, Mike and Patty and, you know, Michael and Sabraj and I've always had a good relationship ever since I was, you know, super, you know, 17, 18 years old. And, and it's, lo- it's like a local team. You know, I grew up with Jerry and Ethan and Joaquin. So going to them at that point was, a, was almost a no brainer at that point when I went to them and then going back to them, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I want to retire with that team kind of thing. You know, why wouldn't you? It's a, it's a loyalty thing. Um, 
that they, I think goes a long way with them. But, you know, if you're not part of the palm organization, you, you may not understand. Um, you, as this whole thing has been going on, I know you've been playing a lot of like beach hockey. I know we were talking about a little earlier, if you can talk about like what the experience is like down there on the beach and how everyone comes together and like, you know, winter stays on type thing. Yeah. Um, uh, like you said, I'm sure people have talk talked about it, but I think what's so cool about it recently is the skates have just gotten so much more better. You know, you're able to, you know, like even like last year, you're able to come out and if you're not like a decent outdoor skater, I guess you can call it, you'll be all right. But now like everybody's playing beach hockey because it's like the only thing you can do when you can do it. Um, and you skate differently you play with the ball and you handle the ball differently and you shoot differently and every, it, it is not easy to do. It, I was brutal at it and I didn't want to play because I just was not having any fun. I wasn't winning. I wasn't scoring. I wasn't, I was doing nothing. I was just being a pylon out there, which is not fun. And so, you know, luckily it takes place like anything else. You skate more often and, and you get better. And, and now it's like a super fast pace and super competitive. All the guys are super close. And um, how do you not want to spend your Saturday playing hockey at the beach? It's almost a no brainer. Who's, uh, who's some of the legends out there that people might not know of that play? Uh, Dave Cairns is a coach. He's been around, you know, for hockey forever. Um, other than that, uh, Tommy Tyler. Tommy Tyler plays like men too. Um, other than that, they're all younger guys that you would know if they play, you know, pro for whatever team. It's a lot younger of a of a, a crowd now, I guess you can call it. Okay. Is, and, uh, is Abramson out there? Yeah, Abe is out there. He, he rips it up. Abe is, Dude, uh, on, a, on Saturday, here at Winter Nats, like he's on our squad. And so he actually, he had to work. We, we got in on Thursday. He had to work Friday. And then I think on Saturday, he was like, any of the boys want to hit the beach for like a skate? And we're like, Abe's, we, we have two games tonight, dude. Like, <laughs> I don't think anybody's trying to if you play a little bit more often, you understand. You make sacrifices for beach hockey. I don't care what you have on that day. You're going to give it a couple hours if you have the chance to. He, he gets to the rink. It's like, you know, like 7 o'clock Saturday night. It's your third round robin game. And he sits in the locker room and he's just like, Ugh. The boys are like, good skate? And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty tired. And we're like, yo, dude, you have one and another game. <laughs> like, you better get untired. That's that's unreal, though. I like that, though. It goes a long way with the beach hockey guys. That's loyalty. And so we'll keep them on the squad for a little bit longer. Yeah. Hey, there you <laughs> go. Good job, Dwyer. Does he get pretty competitive out there? Oh, yeah, it gets super heated. I took a stick to the face the other day. It was, I was so mad. But, yeah, I mean, getting hit with the ball does not feel good, you know, like anything else, I guess you can call it. But, like, uh, you don't want to lose. So when you're in net, you want to play somewhat decent in net. You want to make a save when you can because the saves are, are hard to come by. And, um, oh, yeah, we get, it gets heated. Uh, battles everywhere on the rink, playing goalie. Uh, everybody drops down to the knees, you know, setbacks, and, and you do what you got to do. That's At least I do now. I feel that way now. <laughs> do you guys uh, Do you guys have set teams? Or do you guys just kind of, like, throw sticks together and just pick around? No, it's usually the first first five to come are on a team second, like second six to come are on a team unless like it's just going to be you know one team's way better than the next team make it even and then after that that's when you know the next six that are in line they, they move up and, and that's that you know unless you call your boys and be like get there at 12 or 15 so we can be a squad um it's not going to happen so that's what, a, another cool thing about it that's awesome what do you play to it's usually the two first to two that's a quick and, that's um, a good game. It can be super it, quick. It can be really quick. It can be very long too. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
it, I bet we've all had games last very long, and it typically always happens where the, you're on that rink. You're, you're waiting for the long games, and you're on the rink for the short games, and it's just brutal, too. When there's a long line, and you're only playing two games in three hours. So you make sure you stay on the rink, and that's why you keep having sex in the camp. We appreciate it because, like, it's such a unique and, like, awesome subculture of, like, you know, roller hockey and especially California hockey. And we, you know, to hear more about it, it's, it's very unique. It's very cool. I know George Collins is always saying like how he misses playing beach hockey and stuff. And so seeing, you know, you and and Tino and and Abramson and whoever uh, other guys that are able to make it down there. Like, that's awesome, man. That's pretty, pretty unreal. It's like, it's one of those things too where it's, it sounds cool just talking about it, but it's 10 times better when you're out there, but whether it be, you know, you know, giving shit to the boys or, you know, being on the sidelines waiting for the games or, you know, having a drink or just like, you know, watching the water or watching the, the, the sunset or whatever the case is, you play literally till sunset. So it's like a whole day experience, which, uh, it's one thing to play hockey, you know, for a game and have a good time, but it's one thing to be playing hockey all day at the beach with the boys having drinks and, you know, shooting the shit and, and literally having a, a Saturday for yourself and it's the best thing ever. So whenever you guys get a chance, you definitely have to come out and, uh, and live it up for yourself. You gotta, you gotta film some footage out there and, uh, make it yeah. be sick. It's worth a vacation too. So. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, man, um, you played USA a lot of years and I just, you know, personally, I'm just going to touch on, you know, you're, you're a savvy vet when it comes to that. You've been on the team consistently year after year. And I, I personally really appreciated the fact that I hit you up and you're like, yeah, I'll be out there early. Like, you know, let me know when you land. And, you know, we coordinated stuff. I was able to meet you at the rink and then was able to stay at, um, Marcus Fajardo. Correct. Is that correct? Yeah. I heard you had a problem with that. Getting a lot of static for not pronouncing that correctly, but Marcus. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Him and we'll figure uh, it out. Don't worry. Uh, and <laughs> it was just, it was, it was, it just speaks to like how, how you understand how kind of things go. Like I'm sure when you were younger, you had your first USA experiences, you had a couple older guys take you under your wing. And I think, uh, what a couple of years ago when we were playing on team breakaway in Tampa is when I was telling you how much I wanted it. And you got a video of me doing uh, push-ups and, uh, and some footwork in the parking lot. I think we should send that to Rob so he can get it on the story. I mean, it's if you want it, I got it. I got it. Send it. So funny. Yeah, you send it. Hilarious. No, it's well, pretty good. It, it worked out. It paid off. You made it fun. That is true. Just Rob, Jordan, listeners, just just imagine for me, like Probeman and Novak, who get each other going already, and. I think our buddy Rossi, I can't remember who else, but junior and like one or two others at a bar, just like Novak and junior at a bar together. Like, just imagine that. Just imagine. And so like like, a great time. it was a fun weekend in Tampa, man. We came up short. We lost the black ice, but like, it was a really fun weekend in Tampa. We were staying at like some unreal resort. I could like, yeah, sweet. dude, yeah, like only cool four or five the rink. Like it was yeah. sick. It was awesome. It was a good time. And yeah, we came up short, but like that 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 tournament was so much fun. It was like a super last minute thing for I don't know if it was for everybody, but for myself it was. But we had a, a solid squad, and we obviously had a lot of fun. So I guess that all matters. 
Adam Steele, got to throw Adam Steele out there, hooked it up. He was yeah, trying to yeah, do uh, breakaway sports for a little bit. I don't think it uh, yeah. lasted, but Adam Steele, got to throw him out there a little bit. But yeah. man, you you knew Barcelona. Like that was what was nuts is like that first night I was with you. You're like, yo, what was the Irish bar's name? Uh, George Payne. George Payne. Is that is that the one Payne. we went to? George Payne with a blackout tray? Yeah. Yeah, with our chicken tenders and uh, yo blackout tray, twenty-two euro shot of Jameson, eleven euro. So do the math. You're not getting a shot of whiskey. You're getting a blackout tray. It's 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 it's, it's impossible not to say no to it though. Like, if you enjoy a little bit of alcohol, that's what you're getting every single time. You have this nickname. It's is it jalapeno or just, yeah? Where did yeah. that where did that come from? Where did you when did you get that nickname? So I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what happened or like during this day, but it was Whitey, it was Matt, who he said, I don't remember, like I said, I don't, remember, I don't recall. You'd have to ask him, but he made some kind of side comment and he, he had called me Halloween on a stick. And for whatever, I wish I remembered the story. If you want confirmation, you have to ask him for it. But ever since then, like that whole next in the time with them, that what he called me and then it stuck with me. And um, I guess that's, that's just who I am now. <laughs> the jalapeno. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. I mean, you've been playing pro and you've played everywhere. Who's one of your favorite players that you've got to play with in your career? Um, I think what's so cool, and I, I I've literally played with everybody. I, it's, it's, you guys, you can talk about this, you know, Torfley, Stern, Blue. You know, there's just so many players, and I played with Travis. I played with Ethan. I played with Whitey and Perry and Thomas. And and you name the top fours. I've played with them at some point, you know, in whatever tournament. Um, so it's impossible. But you know, if I had to pick, you know, one or two players, it has to be Ethan and Travis, just because we play so well together, and and they're on my team now, and and um, and yeah, and and they're sick. I mean, those are two of the best players to play with. They see the game so well, and every yeah. time that you play with those two, you guys have you guys have unreal chemistry together. No matter who you guys are playing, yeah. It's uh, it's it's a treat to watch. It's awesome. No, it makes it, it makes it that much more better too. I mean, it's always fun to play with somebody that you connect with, and uh, I've always connected with both of them. So it's hard not to not to pick them on my top two. Nice. Well, as we wrap this up, you've been involved in a lot of hockey. What's your favorite pro ship that you won to date? Um, a pro a pro tournament in the states. Mm-hmm. Or anywhere. Yeah, any pro um, any championship to date. Your favorite one. Um, that's tough. Um, all of the, I mean, winning for USA is always, is always going to be up there, but I think what was, which one that, that one that stands out is, um, one of our seasons ended early and I went to go play in the Czech league, which lasts for a couple months. And, um, we went on a run and, uh, we ended up winning that and that trophy, like literally the size of me. And so I took a picture I think I like on Instagram or something and I posted a picture and like, you can barely even see my face. And the and that league was just so it was so much more better than I expected it to be, which is cool. And and we had a good team. We had like Steemos on our team and you know, Jakob Stick where they're both on like the the national team or were. And uh, that was super cool to be in check for the two months and we ended up winning that, that championship, which is another experience, which is a really cool time though. What was what was that like playing in check? It was awesome, man, because like obviously it's all those it only lasts for two months because it happens after ice the ice league ends. And all a lot of those teams are really, really good teams and they all play like on Olympic size rink. 
So I love that. And then the competition was really, really good because of all the players that um, are done with ice. So um, really, really good. It would be, I would compare it to a pro tournament. My, my last question for you, I could obviously ask you plenty of hockey questions and reminisce, but what, I mean, like you're a guy who's been around, like around the world, like you've been to a lot of places, like what's one of your favorite things about traveling? Um, it's cultures. It's gotta be like seeing different cultures. Um, I never expected to travel anywhere in my life through hockey and it, it all, it all just fell into place and, and, and to see the different things that I've seen the countries and the cities and the people and have the food. And, um, it's hard not to appreciate all that stuff because, uh, it's definitely not the States. Every single country is completely different. And, um, it gives you a better understanding of, of, of your culture, other people's cultures and the way people live. So it's easily my favorite part about Europe and my favorite part about traveling. I mean, Amsterdam, you have to love Amsterdam. Amsterdam's super cool for, for every reason. The food's really good. There's so much to do. Um, Hong Kong, when we went to Hong Kong, that was really cool. Um, I did like a tour through Brazil. I did like from the South to the North running camps. And that was really, really cool to see. Um, there's just too many places to name. Uh, you know, luckily I, I did it and I was able to say it, but it's, it's tough because they, they all bring something really different to the table. I just want to say from, from all of us, thank you again for taking the time and talking to us about this. And I mean, I got to lot, learn a lot more about you. I didn't know that you lived in a resort and then also on kind of an eye on an Island, you know, playing roller hockey. It's uh, I don't think a lot of people realize how far roller hockey can take you and where it's, I mean, you're, your proof where it's taken you and uh, around the world seeing these different cultures. And it's pretty awesome to hear firsthand. No, it's crazy. I, I tell people all the time and, you know, I still get a message to this day and people always ask, you know, should I go? Should I go? Should I go? And like, if, whether it, if it's financial, if it's fun, if it's financial, if it's a financial issue, I get why you wouldn't. But if, if that's not an issue, a hundred percent of the time, you should always take that chance to go play over there. Cause it's, it's an experience and their life lessons that you'll never be able to get anywhere else. And if you can do it playing hockey, uh, why wouldn't you? So it's super, super cool. And then I, I always advise people and have no problem with people talking to me and asking me questions about it. Absolutely. Kevin, Jordan, you guys, do you have anything else to say? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I thought it's, I think your story is super cool. How you started, how your family didn't play at all and how you're kind of just like a couch potato and flipped a couple of channels and now you're one of the best roller hockey players in the world. So I want to appreciate, yeah. uh, I want to say thank you for yeah. keeping going because you're really fun to watch. I appreciate it, man. I, I guess I'll, my parents don't come to my games anymore. So I guess uh, we can thank them next time we'll go. And um, I guess I owe it to them. They, they stuck with it and they, they spent their money and their time when they, when they didn't need to. And they gave me the love for it. So props to them. Kudos to them. Absolutely. It's good. It's good to see you, brother. Um, hopefully here in about a month and, and two months, we'll be able to see each other again too. And facing off as usual, but, uh, man, it's always good being on your side of things. And it was good to hear your side of, of your story and everything today. So thanks for uh, taking some time, man. It's good to see you. Boys, appreciate it. Uh, I mean, you, I'm sure you guys are here all the time, but you know, what you guys are doing is awesome. And, um, keep it up, keep pumping the, the content because you know we all love to see it, you know, one way or another. So keep doing you, and um, hopefully I'll see you guys uh, in a month or so and uh, get some more stories out of me. Absolutely, we got. I think if we do, uh, you know, the live ones are so much funner too because you get the, yeah. the interaction, have a couple of brews, and just you know, just hang yeah. out. And, uh, yeah. Shit.
Well, then I'll see you guys in Florida for uh, our live uh, our live meeting. Well, we'll do uh, part two soon. Yeah. yeah. Thank you again, Junior, man. Just wanted to say right, thank, you again. thank you, boys. Later. Thank you. Later.